Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, and it is not your usual Lost in Science this week. Uh, Look, it is winter here, and we have been beset by various viruses and uh, illnesses and afflictions. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to play a couple of great stories from the archives, and... This is like, it's two amazing animal stories. It's not quite a triple creature feature because it's only two of them, but let's say, call it a a double creature feature, shall we say. Uh, We have Claire bringing a story that she reported on last year about um, some weird lack of sex, I guess you can call it, in Californian condors. These are the endangered California condor, the Gymnogyps californianus, that has been observed to have... Uh, parthenogenesis, also known as virgin birth. Now, Claire will explain to us how this is possible and how this is perhaps like an evolutionary thing for the species to survive under extreme circumstances and how it all works because of the way that bird chromosomes work differently to human sex chromosomes. And Stu brings us an incredible story about frogs that have been observed to regrow amputated limbs. Now, this is not a normal thing they do. This has been achieved in the laboratory, but it is, uh, I guess, shows you something amazing things that animals can do and raises the possibility that humans could also one day be able to regenerate from damage. A amazing amphibious future for us all, I guess. Well, stay tuned for these two incredible stories and on with the show. Okay, so you've heard of the birds and the bees, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Your parents might have sat you down and had that conversation with you. It is very confusing, on. though, because I kept expecting <laughs> the birds to come out of the beehives, and I, 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 it was very confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. Well, what if I told you there was a lot more to the story of birds and bees than even you would have thought as a young man, Stu? Um, And in fact, we now know that one particular bird, um, you know, it does not even have need a mate to have an offspring. So maybe you've heard about it before. It's called parthenogenesis. Um, It's a Greek word and it's Greek for virgin creation. So that sort of sets your mind to another type of virgin creation creation or an immaculate conception, I'm sure. Um, But this virgin creation, uh, what actually happens in nature is it's when an unfertilized egg develops into an embryo and a new life form is produced from that, from that one unfertilized egg. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare in the animal world, but it, it, it can happen. Um, have you ever heard of it before? Are there any, uh, an, any animals that you've ever... Aren't there some, I feel like it's something associated with lizards. 
Yep, there are some lizards. It's certainly some geckos. Certainly, uh, a lot more common in the insect world. So aphids, it's very common for them to be yeah. able to uh, parthenogenically reproduce. Uh-huh. So you can have, you know, you go out and you look at your roses and you've got one aphid and then come out a couple of days later and there's 500 aphids, but they didn't all arrive from somewhere else. They've just reproduced parthenogenically from this single aphid. Oh. So it does happen. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it does so, happen. Um, so if there's a bird doing it, I imagine it's going to be a bird that has a huge population numbers. It's going to be something that is just <laughs> that is, everywhere. You would like think so. You would think so. Um, starfish can do it. Um, yeah, but like you said, Chris, there are some lizards, but it is quite rare in vertebrates. So some birds, some lizards. And this week it's been described in a new animal species. And unlike, you know, your common rose aphid, and, and what you're suggesting, Chris, it is not a common bird. It is the Californian condor, uh, which is one of the most rare birds in the world. So, wow. uh, yeah, it's an incredible bird, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen or um, heard a vulture. I mean, sorry, a condor, but it is a type of vulture. Yeah, they look like they had that bald head, don't they, like, yeah. a, like a vulture? Yeah, yep. and they are massive. So uh, the Californian condor is the largest flying bird in North America. Um, and as a side note, the population of the Californian condor nosedived to just around 22 individuals in 1982. So it really was, um, you know, butting up against that sort of brink of extinction. Mm. And um, it led to the development of a really successful captive breeding program that's been um, that's been developing and raising chicks and growing the numbers in the population. And this week they published something, um, this group of researchers out of the San Diego Zoo, they published something that was quite unexpected about that the path that the Californian condor can reproduce parthenogenically. So the researchers from the San Diego Zoo, they found out after doing genome testing of all the animals, because, you know, when you're in a captive breeding program, you need to know who's mating with who in the zoo, so to speak. So you have to do rigorous genome testing to make sure you're maximizing your genetic diversity. Um, and they found out that there are two male chicks uh, who are fatherless in that all of their genetic material comes from their mothers. And this has happened on two separate occasions. So they have two separate mothers and all of their genetic material comes from their mothers. So this was a jaw-dropping moment for the scientists as it hasn't been observed in this species before. And, of course, you know, they are an incredibly endangered species, so, you know, quite interesting. But it's also really interesting, I think, from a genetics point of view because it gives us an insight into genes and sex chromosomes and how birds differ from, you know, humans. So let's go through, um, you know, why this is so fascinating. Okay, starting... this, is, this is like so many questions here, so many questions. <laughs> I know, right? So starting, let's go back to the start. Let's go back to sexual reproduction, <laughs> the chicken or the egg. Um, sexual reproduction, I mean, it's the cornerstone of us vertebrates, isn't it? Um, mammals and, and other animals with a backbone. Normally it requires an egg from a female to be fertilized by a sperm from a male. So each parent contributes one copy of the genome 
to create, uh, you know, the genetic material that is contained in all of your the cells of your, of your body, except the sex cells. So, because normally we have like two copies of every kind of chromosome. Yes. And, um, but in each gamete or like egg or sperm has like half that number. So it's got one copy. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but of course these fatherless condor chicks, um, they violate this rule, right? They, um, they don't have a copy from a father and a mother. They just have one single copy that's been repeated. So, Uh so the question here that I have is in humans, we have females who have two copies of female chromosomes. X chromosomes. Two two X chromosomes. Males have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, and that's what makes them male. Where did the Y chromosome come from in these male (laughs) condors? I know, right? That is the question. It is very confusing. And I have to point to... Uh, Professor Jenny Graves, who has done an excellent conversation article and written all about it, um, you know, she is, if there's, um, uh, she knows everything there is to know in the world about sex chromosomes and um, especially in marsupials. But let me just tell you what she says about it. So, yeah, um, in birds, parthenogenesis always results from an egg cell carrying a single copy of the genome Um, and normally an egg cell and a sperm cell fuse incorporating both parents' genomes and restoring the usual number of chromosomes. Um, But in parthenogenesis, the egg cell is not fertilised. Instead, it achieves a regular, usual double, double state by either fusing with another cell from the same division or by replicating its genome without the cell being divided. Um, So, yeah, so rather than getting one genome from the mother and one from the father, the resulting egg only has a subset of the mother's genes in the double dose. Um, But like you were saying, Stu, what the hell is going on with the birds? Um, Because... for any parthenogenic reproduction in birds, it will always be a male offspring. Um, and that is because birds have the opposite sex chromosomes um, to humans. So like you said, females have two X chromosomes, male have an X and a Y. Um, so if in some other universe humans could like reproduce parthenogenically, the offspring would always be female, would be XX because we would have two copies of the same X chromosome. But condors are like other birds and all other birds. They determine their sex with a Z and a W sex chromosome. And in birds, the males are always ZZ and the females are always ZW. So for the female Californian condor, she will always produce an egg that either has a Z chromosome or a W chromosome. So if the, when the magic of parthenogenesis happens, um, then what will result will either be an offspring that has two Z chromosomes or it is an offspring that has two W chromosomes. 
Now the two Z chromosomes is viable and that creates a live animal, but the two W chromosomes, um, that's non-viable and they die. So um, in conclusion, thank you, uh, Professor Jenny Graves, all fatherless chicks must therefore be ZZ males um, and you can't get any sort of female parthenogenic birds, um, which is what was observed in this species. So is this, and coming back to my kind of aphid analogy or Stu's aphid analogy, I suppose, is this perhaps an adaptation to try and expand their population, like a desperation when they can't find a mate or, you know, population numbers are low and flip a switch essentially? Yeah, it's it's been observed in Komodo dragons that haven't had a mate um, and have sort of, you know, last ditch effort to pass on your genetic material, you reproduce parthenogenically. Um, but it turns out that, uh, you know, the fatherless chicks of the Californian condor, um, they're actually quite sickly. They have really low immune, um, resilience. They have developmental problems. Um, and that's because, you know, they don't have that sort of rigorous sexual, um, hybridism like the rest of us do. They have two... Um, repeats of the same chromosomes, which which means that um, any sort of uh, you know any any carriers any illnesses, yeah. and, and illnesses that they might be carrying um, become apparent. We have two copies for a reason, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. sexual reproduction is successful for a reason, yeah. <laughs> or a couple of reasons. I don't know. Um, so we won't. Yeah, we won't be pulling funding and support for the captive breeding program just yet. Um, but how wonderful to know that there's this added complexity of the Californian condor and makes you wonder what else we don't know about the birds and the bees. I'm theoretical physicist Sean Carroll, and you're listening to Lost in Science, which is spreading scientific knowledge across multiple branches of the wave function of the universe. I don't know if you remember, but way back before Christmas, we were talking all science fiction and I managed to catch up on a few movies over the break. I caught up with The Eternals, which is a Marvel movie. Got to say, not particularly science fiction-y, more like rewriting the the history of Earth's legends, but, you know, um, a lot of fun, I thought. Uh, I saw Dune at the IMAX, which was amazing if you haven't seen Dune I recommend you go and see that at the cinema unless you've got a TV the size of a, you know, semi-trailer <laughs> truck. Can you just sit really close to the TV? Is that like a suitable... <laughs> then, then you can see the pixels. Um, and I also managed to catch the most recent Spider-Man movie and then, of course, over the summer had some free time on my hands and went back and watched all the older uh, Spider-Man movies. Um, including a couple I dismissed when they sort of came out. 
with Andrew Garfield as Spidey. I don't know if you saw those ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. How I, do they hold up? Yeah. I was. I think I was busy in that time. Like <laughs> I, I did not remember him ever being Spider Man. It, it was one of those things where the the Tobey Maguire ones had kind of just finished, and then they started them again with Andrew Garfield, and I just sort of went, "What's going on? I'm. I don't yet. Yeah, I haven't got time." Something was that the original genesis of the Spider Verse? Like just no, it was just. Sony with, you know... Too much money in one idea. Rights and rights to one thing and not rights to other things, I think. Um, Now, the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man wastes a fair bit of time rehashing how Spider-Man got his swing. Um, But the main villain in The Amazing Spider-Man, which is the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, is a giant lizard. Uh, Reese Ifans (laughs) plays a scientist who has lost part of his arm and he's obsessed with finding a treatment of some kind that will grow back his missing limb, um, which, of course, being a comic book movie, has dire consequences for everyone involved. Um, now, obviously, this does sound like science fiction because one of the things about animals is that much of their body template is laid out during embryogenesis, which is very, very early in development. And this happens in the egg stage in animals like fish and amphibians and lizards and birds, or during the pregnancy of animals like mammals, including us humans. So basically, once a body part is formed in that developmental stage, it's pretty well fixed. Uh, and we can sort of, you know, we, we can replace some tissues. Our skin is, for example, constantly being renewed. Um, but most of our organs and our limbs and our digits are not replaceable. Uh, once, if, if, you, if you damage it, it's often literally beyond repair. Um, Very young children apparently can grow back lost fingertips if they cut a small enough amount of their fingertip. Uh, They can grow back if they're young enough. But if a body part is cut off, it doesn't grow back, which is, you know, um, has been suggested by some atheists that this is good evidence that miracles don't exist because there's no verified stories of amputated limbs growing back anywhere in the world. Uh, it just you know seems like that would be something people would pray for. Never happened that one's grown back. So, of course, most of us would have come across drop-tail skinks as children. Uh, they're the lizards that lose their tail and the silly old bird grabs the tail thinking that's <laughs> scored a meal. And then the lizard goes off and uh, grows a new tail, which is basically the inspiration for the lizard in The Amazing Spider-Man. Could be the um the bird is doing sustainable harvesting and is deliberately going, you know <laughs> off you go lizard, grow another tail, I'll see you in six months. Lizard lizard tails are a renewable resource. Birds should yeah. be birds should be on board with that. Um some some other animals can do this as well, including several species of amphibians like frogs and salamanders and some reptiles, but not all species are capable of this uh this type of regeneration. Now, in medicine, the lack of treatments for lost limbs and digits is a huge limitation for doctors and patients. There's not really much you can do for people like that, you know, other than prosthetics and, um, you know, sort of palliative care to make sure that other things don't go wrong as a result of losing limbs or digits. Um, And uh, this applies to a lot of organs in the body that can't regenerate. Basically, everything, every organ in the human body, except the liver, does not regenerate. 
Um, the liver can regenerate from, I think you can lose up to half of your liver and it can regrow, which is one of the reasons liver transplants are quite uh, common because you can take a piece of liver and not a whole liver so people can sort of divide up their liver and donate bits of it to people as well and still survive. Um, but one of the reasons for this is possibly that one of the basic reactions to injury in many animals is they produce scar tissue. And the scar tissue is a rapidly growing tissue type that prevents further damage to the body. So it kind of heals up everything really quickly, seals up blood vessels, protects exposed nerve endings, basically does a quick job of fixing damaged tissue. But that rush job may be what's preventing further healing and regeneration. So doctors have been searching for many years uh, for ways to allow for tissue regeneration following injury. And like Kurt Connors, the character from The Amazing Spider-Man, they've looked to species which are able to do this on their own. Um, and a research paper published in Science Advances in January this year shows some promise down this research pathway. The paper is entitled Acute Multidrug Delivery via a wearable bioreactor facilitates long-term limb regeneration and functional recovery in adult Xenopus lavis. Now, Xenopus lavis is a frog. Mm. I was going to say, haven't we heard of this frog before recently? We have, but it's completely separate course of research. So this frog did right, come okay. up. Yeah. Um, I think it may be one of those lab, you know, one of those model specimen, you know, model species that they use and they do lots of experiments yeah. on because they, they understand it really well. So it was your Xenobot story where they had That's cells right. in a Xenopus yeah. frog yep. that they were making into little kind of biological robots. Yeah. And now so this... we're getting the Xenopus frog and we're doing what to it again? Well, okay. So the team based at Tufts University in Massachusetts put a concoction of various drugs in a wearable sheath over a severed limb of a frog for 24 hours. After they removed the sheath, they observed limb regrowth of the severed leg over a period of 18 months, as well as functional recovery in that the limb could be used for movement both in and out of the water. Uh, wow. They repeated this on a number of frogs of the same species. And look, it must have taken ages to wait for these injured frogs to be brought in with their missing limbs in frog ambulances to the to the Tufts University Hospital. But look, all these amputee frogs came in. They did the same uh, experiment and got the same result each time. So basically what they're doing is exposing the injury to a, a cocktail of drugs for a very short time, which then has an effect over a really long time of uh, regenerating the, the missing limb. And that includes bone and muscle and skin and all of the other uh, tissue types involved there. So the researchers analysed the gene expression in tissues affected by the drug treatment and found that early embryo development genes have been triggered by the drugs and that was what was working to restore the limbs and regrow the limbs. Um, Are these early embryo genes something that's specific to frogs or is this something that sort of goes across the animal kingdom? Well, this is what they need to find out. The thing about uh, embryogenesis is if you look at 
you know, the early stages of embryo development in across different species, they look very similar up to a certain point. So the embryo of a, of a frog looks quite a lot like, you know, the embryo of a lizard and the embryo of a bird and the embryo of a mammal. They all look the same early on. And then it's only as they age that they sort of diverge into their uh, different species. So the, the limb sort of uh, development stuff happens really quite early. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, uh, animals around with four limbs. You know, birds have got two wings and two legs. Mammals have usually got uh, four limbs, arms and legs or whatever, however you want to divide them up. I have another question. Yeah. It's about, is was the frog leg adult-sized? Like, was it appropriate to the age of the frog? Um, they, they were not completely normal legs, but they were not just sort of extensions of what was left after the limb was severed. So they did actually regrow something of a leg. Um, it's not exactly the same as what was there, but it's very, very similar, and it did develop along similar pathways. Now, obviously, this is experiments with frogs. The species they were looking at does not naturally have this ability. So there are frogs that can regrow lost limbs. This species doesn't usually have the capability of doing that. So it's definitely... Uh, the treatment that they've been giving it and the concoction of drugs that they've applied, they're not just exploiting the existing abilities of this species because this species cannot actually do this by itself. Um, and, you know, as I said, this is in frogs. We're a long way off doing any kind of application on human beings, but the hope is that by unlocking the key to the... Uh, early embryo development genes is that they may be able to restore tissue function in things like, for example, damaged heart tissue, which is one of the reasons that people get uh, valve transplants and heart transplants is because we can't regenerate the heart. If we could regenerate the heart by, by giving people the right drugs, you would do away with the need for heart transplants and a lot more patients would have you know, the ability to survive the uh, the damage to their heart, which is causing them health problems. Um, and, you know, that the, the, the scope of this is endless, really. There's so many different things that could be helped, uh, you know, from, from sort of burns victims to, you know, lung damage and kidney damage and all of those things where we don't really have that many treatments available. Um, and it may be a long way off helping humans with similar problems, but this work on frogs is still a big leap in the right direction nice nice so you know how like the lizards drop their tail when there's a bird coming mm. maybe these frogs will just put their legs off when they see a french chef coming towards them. <laughs> <laughs> that good. Uh, amazing and that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search rankings so other people can find the science. 
or you can listen to us however you listen to us now, where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.